welcome to Vermont Untapped, a podcast from the Vermont Folklife Center that explores the state through the voices of its own residents. I'm Mary Wesley, and I'm recording this inside my linen closet. Because like all of my VFC colleagues, and many of you I'm sure, I'm working from home to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. Our office is closed, our public events have been canceled, and we don't know when our spring exhibit will open in the gallery. But we're still here, and we're still working. Everyone has just about figured out how to operate our new video conferencing software, and I've begun to look forward to our weekly virtual staff meetings to see which fish tank our office manager, Bob, will sit in front of. They're real fish tanks, not Zoom backgrounds, and they're amazing. All this to say, here at the VFC, we're all adapting as well as we can. We're grateful every day for the workers in our towns and communities that are keeping essential services up and running, and we are exploring new ways to do our work. On that note, we'll continue to bring you new episodes of Vermont Untapped, sharing stories from our archive and ongoing ethnographic research. But today, I want to tell you a little bit about the new project we've been working on in response to the pandemic. It's called Listening in Place. You can learn all about Listening in Place on our website, www.vtfolklife.org listening. In short, we're creating a crowdsourced sound archive of interviews and sounds of everyday life, gathering photos of Vermonters in their homemade masks, and the topic of today's podcast, we're hosting online virtual story circles, where people can gather to share what they're going through. With these programs, we seek ways to maintain our connections to one another when we most need them, and to support you in doing that. We engage with personal stories to strengthen our relationships, and together create a record of what we're experiencing throughout the pandemic. So for right now, and in the near future, I'm excited to share some stories that have been shared with us through Listening in Place. Today, we'll hear from three people who joined us for our very first virtual story circle at the beginning of April. A story circle is a community-organized event where people come together to tell their stories of a shared experience, like the COVID-19 pandemic. The story circle format has been around for a while. It's often used by groups engaged in peace and reconciliation efforts or trauma recovery. The Folklife Center started co-organizing story circles after Tropical Storm Irene, when so many people were wanting and needing to share their experiences of the storm. The format is simple. Participants sit together in a group, and whoever has the mic speaks. Once they're done speaking, the mic is passed to the next person, and so on. And at the end, everyone has a chance to reflect on the experience as a whole. Of course, at this moment, we can't sit together in a group at least not in person. But this isn't stopping people from gathering. I've seen online music jams, book club meetings, even the Vermont Senate is now passing bills and voting remotely. So we're trying out the story circle format using a video conferencing platform. We're so grateful to the group of people who joined us for our first one in early April. I'm going to play you some stories from Emer, Kate, and Pamela in this episode, but we had seven people in our first circle, and you can hear more stories from other participants on our Listening in Place website, www.vtfolklife.org listening. This is also where you can sign up yourself to join us for a future virtual story circle. 
Right now, we're holding them on a rolling schedule based on interest. Also, my amazing colleague Trish Denton has created a facilitator's guide if you'd like to organize and host your own story circle. Again, find information about all of this on our website. And now the stories. Just a note, these recordings were made through a video conferencing software. The audio quality is a little funny, but the stories are wonderful. So I, I, um, I might have had the virus. I don't know. I'm in that weird group of people who happened to get sick during this time period and didn't have severe enough symptoms to, to warrant a test because especially at the time that I was sick, they weren't testing people unless they had more um, extreme symptoms. Um, and so I, I, not only did I have to bow out of the frenzy that was going on at my workplace as they kind of went through transitions of we're doing this and then now we're now we've downscaled this to this and we're downscaled this to this and it's my it was my job to get everybody onto technology and out of their workplaces and to work at home because that's part of my position where I work. So I got sick right at the right about a week into that frenzy right before the library closed. And then I was just lying at home, doing some work in bed, but extremely fatigued in my office for about a week. And um, um, and I was lying there and lying there and lying there. You know, I was kind of too sick to like read, too sick to watch TV most of the time. And I began to have this weird like sense of resonance um, of like, this weird feeling of another time, um, which maybe maybe we're all experiencing that just because we have like more time right now. But I, I the the time that I kept resonating to was um, this time when I was at my grandmother's house. My grandmother, I grew up in Vermont. My grandmother, who grew up most lived most of her life in Vermont, lived the last twenty years or so of her life in a in a suburban house in Syracuse and right outside of Syracuse in DeWitt with her her husband, my grandfather, who was a retired banker. And they had a ranch house that had a really similar layout to the house that my partner and I now own. And sometimes I get like a weird kind of echo feeling just walking through the house itself anyway, because I'll be like, here's where this door should be, but it isn't because we're not in that house, you know? But this one week I spent at my grandmother's house when I was like 13 or so, just at the cusp of adolescence. Um, I went to her house for like a week in the summer and I had nothing to do. It was really boring. Um, she didn't find it. She didn't have planned anything for me to do. <laughs> Not a single thing. <laughs> my grandmother, Harriet, she was a character. But she hadn't planned a single thing. And she didn't have anything that was of interest. Like the most interesting thing in their house was this bar in the basement that you could pretend you were a bartender at. You know? They didn't have any cable channels. My grandfather had passed away by then. There was a there was a um, a a bicycle in the basement. You know that you could ride on an exercise bicycle that didn't fit. You know. And there was just nothing. And I remember also I had this terrible allergic reaction to the, the upstairs of her house. 
I don't know what was going on, but I needed to take Sudafed the whole week. So I was like really out of it. And so I just, I spent the, I spent a lot of that, that week in the basement of the house, like reading old paperbacks that I would find, you know, just trying to find something to do. And for some reason that week kept echoing through my mind and I'm 45 years old. And I, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't an important week that I can, that I can identify. And yet it, it felt like I was, I was, uh, that, 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 that week was resonating down through my life in some way. And I, I've noticed, I know, I've noticed a few other things like that, that it's like the, this, this quieter or this, this very different sh shaking up time, a time where things are, are shaking up. It's bringing up weird resonances in my brain. Um, I'm thinking of friends that I haven't thought of in a really long time that I'm not close with anymore, but I was at one point in my life and they're coming up and they're there. And, and I'm just thinking, wow, um, this is valuable. There's stuff going on that's really hard, but there's stuff going on that's really valuable. And I don't know why, I don't, I don't know how to parse it all out, but it feels like it is. That's it. So I have a son who's grown up, he's 32, uh, who's immunocompromised and who lives at the epicenter in Italy. He can't get this virus. It will kill him. And so my relationship with the virus, at least in the first, let's say starting February 29th, okay, um, the first couple of weeks it was about my fear for him, not about the fear for me and my husband. We're, we're also in that older uh, cohort, which is a very strange feeling. Um, and I also have a mother who's 90, so I keep thinking, well, that's the cohort, not the one I'm in. But in any event, the person who's been, it has felt like, might be truly at risk is my grown-up son, who was here in the United States with his partner, uh, to celebrate my mother's 90th birthday on February 23rd. And they'd saved up their pennies to come for this birthday. They hadn't been over here in 15 months. They both teach there, work there. And uh, on the 29th, they were flying back, and we knew things were ramping up over there to the point where I gave them alcohol wipes to wipe down the area they were sitting on in the plane, and we cobbled together some masks in case they sat next to someone who was spewing stuff. And um, they got back, and within two days, they were on lockdown. And they live in an apartment that's it's a tiny, tiny little apartment with two little balconies, so they, they do get fresh air. And, um, and there they were. And all we were reading about was horror show of the, of 
what was going on. And we were at a remove and they're wonderful adults, but it was still scary. Were they going to do the right things to protect themselves and take care of themselves? And what if, what if things went badly, what would happen, you know, out of our control. And, um, What's been really interesting is that uh, 10 days ago or so when the State Department said, you know, if you're an expatriate, you need to come back now or ride the pandemic out where you are. And I, I WhatsApped him and I said, here's what they're saying. How are you feeling? And he said the following thing, and it was mind blowing, but I think he's right. And I stopped worrying after this WhatsApp conversation. He said, Mom, I'm safer here in Italy because he said, we're about to plateau on the curve. And he said, but the main thing is everybody who lives here is actually following the rules. They're being careful. Everybody's taking care of each other. He said, that's going to be trickier in the United States. People aren't going to want to stand in lines. They're not going to want to have their freedoms prevented. And uh, they don't always think of the community in the United States. And he said, and from what I can tell, the leadership up at the top is not good. <laughs> and uh, he said, that that's the first thing. He said, the second thing is, I have to tell you that, um, so he has an autoimmune disease, he has Crohn's disease, and um, he was on a medication in this country for 16 years that saved his life. But when he got to Italy, the doctors there said, you shouldn't be on this medication. Uh, you need, you know, we've got other medications. It was a medication that required him going into the hospital every eight weeks for an infusion. So he was tethered to a hospital. And he, the Italian doctor said, we got to get you off this medication. That's not a good thing. And he said, well, why rock the boat? It's working. I'm, I'm functional. I'm healthy. Why would, I, why would I change that protocol? And the doctor said, because it's an expensive medicine. It's a powerful medicine. There are other medicines you don't want to be tied to a hospital. So it took that gastroenterologist a year get him off that medication. I got him off of it a year ago. So my, my son said, Mom, you need to understand. I'm so grateful that right now, my health is not dependent on going to a hospital. He said, so the Italian healthcare system actually has already saved my life. He said that. I thought he's better off there. Imagine, imagine. He hasn't been outside, but it's okay. He trusts, and therefore, therefore, I have to trust. And uh, our life here since then has been—it's um, been—it's just been a little easier. And grappling with the whole my work in this time as I'm a therapist and I work a lot with trauma and I'm so used to being 
you know, although I may have my own pain and history that I draw on to be empathetic and present, it's usually a thread, like I'm, it could be a thread to the upper world. If I think of underworld journeys, my clients might be in something on this thread. And that way of working is not working now because we're in this collective trauma and it feels very different on how to show up. And it started for me, like the feeling of this was um, my cat that I had for, oh, my cat Sophie was 17 years old, died February 5th. And she was my, you know, she was my healing bomb. She would just purr. She literally would purr into my pain. When I would sleep at night, if I had back pain, she would sleep on the pain and purr into it. And so it was a very visceral experience. And even the way I'm a therapist, I'm, I'm there. I'm very, I grew up in an Italian family. We're very visceral. I don't, um, I feel with my clients. And so, so when, in February, when my cat died, it, it was, I was overwhelmed, needed some time to deal with that. Still, sorry, it makes me sad. And um, before she died, my husband and I had talked about a few weeks prior and how we would get, I mean, maybe we'll get a little puppy. And I was picturing this cute little, you know, yellow puppy. And this would be my little therapy dog. And I'd bring the little dog into the office with my clients. And this would be this great thing. But I'd want to wait a little while because it wasn't yet. It would take a while to heal my heart, my cat. So the day that we bring the cat, my cat was dying all night. We we got her to the vet in the morning to have her put down. After she goes, and I'm hysterical, I'm crying. And I'm leaving that room. I look out and I see this little yellow dog, exactly like my vision, exactly like what I thought my little therapy dog would do. I look at the dog. The dog looks at me and the dog takes a shit. I just start laughing hysterically. Like I went from crying like, and then I'm laughing hysterically. And I can see that the people around are like, what is wrong with her? Like nobody knows why. And I can't explain like the spirit of my cat came came here and is giving me a cue that I shouldn't get a dog right now. And, you know, because people think I'm bananas, you know, and I'm feeling kind of, and even my husband, I can hear him in the other room with the woman saying, oh, you know, I better go check out my wife. You know, everybody's very worried about my mental state. At this point. So this happens and, you know, months go by. And in the beginning of March, as all this is going on, I have this dream and my cat comes to my dream. And it's my cat, but my cat keeps turning into other cats, but I can't hold these cats. And then there's dogs and there's all these animals. And I'm like, what is Sophie trying to tell me? You know, I was like, you know, and I'm thinking it's just not time to get an animal because I can't tolerate that. So then time goes on and we get to this point the, um, my practice where I can't, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to start doing this teletherapy, but I'm so visceral and I show up for my clients and how can I do that? And I'm sort of warning them, okay, we may need to try this thing. I don't know how, you know, I'll do my best not being good at technology. So we, um, so I start the, my sessions with my clients and the first thing I notice is that my clients are amazing. Everyone is like resilient. People are stepping up. The young people are, you know, who are introverted, who are anxious now feel like they're in their, their realm. Like, I'm, you know, it's, it's very hopeful. And I'm starting to realize, wow, there's somebody had used the word instead of, um, you know, social distancing, healing space. 
So it's starting to feel like, wow, there's this healing space and something new is happening here. And then little by little, I start seeing their houses and people give me tours of their houses. And, you know, I'm just getting to know them on this other level. And it feels very intimate and really sweet. And I hate computers. And I'm like, I'm loving this. You know, it's this whole new world. And then little by little, all these little creatures, all their little pets show up. Little by little, like a little kitty shows up and says hi, a little doggy shows up, and I'm having I'm watching them heal with their pets. Like I have almost like their pets are my coworkers, you know, like they're there with my clients doing this healing. And I, I know I can't tolerate being physically with a pet right now, and I'm getting to interact with their pets. None of them know my cats died, and it's just like this beautiful collective, we're all in this thing together. And I'm like, thank you, Sophie. That's what I'm getting from this. Thanks. I want to thank Emer, Kate, Pamela, and everyone who's joined us for a story circle so far. Again, to participate or to learn more about hosting your own, visit www.vtfolklife.org listening. You can also hear other stories from participants that I couldn't fit into this episode. From all of us here at the VFC, we hope you and your families are keeping as well as can be. We'll be sharing more stories from our Listening in Place project through this podcast and also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow us at Vermont Folklife. If you liked listening to this show, please tell others to look us up and subscribe. You can find Vermont Untapped on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio. Vermont Untapped is produced by me, Mary Wesley. Our executive producer, who also happens to be the VFC archivist, is Andy Kolovos. Music in this show was recorded by Dave Hoy. Thanks for listening. Thank you.